This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. couple of things. If you want to use Tuesday night as a Bible study, you know, just come and join us. And uh, don't tell Pastor Tim where this came from, but there's no charge for the Bible college. Uh, all right. I'll probably get in trouble for that one. But, uh, you know, a lot of people just can't afford, you know, even a little bit of money and don't want to deny anybody, you know, uh, the word of God because of finances. So use it as a Bible study or I'm going to be going through the historical books, and uh, there's so many wonderful lessons of faith that come out of uh, these uh, these books. And so I hope to emphasize those lessons. So if you can join us six o'clock on Tuesday nights, okay. And if you're real spiritual, if you want to come back tonight, I'll be teaching on the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. And uh, it's not a sin to come to church twice on Sunday. Okay, it's okay. But um, I'm going to talk about a subject matter today that, uh, you know, it's kind of a little uh, iffy with people and, uh, you know, a lot of people shy away from it. And it's something that at times has to be addressed. And uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, worship and giving. And um, Pastor Tim didn't put me up to this. It was at a board meeting. And, uh, you know, Calvary Chapel has always been known. They don't really address the issue of giving, but we need to be educated to what the Bible says about giving on the New Testament times. So we can't shy away from it altogether. I think in my, my teaching over the last 20 years, I think I've only addressed it two or three times. But I will say it definitely needs to be addressed because a lot of young Christians come into the church, don't know how, you know, how to give or what to give or where to give. And so we're going to address these issues. If you're new here today, trust me, we don't talk about giving. You know, we're, we're into people's hearts. We want people to come face to face with God and share the heart of Christ. Okay, and the idea is that if people are giving themselves first to Christ, uh, their pocketbook or their wallet probably will follow behind that. But we're here to make disciples and at the same time make sure that we address issues that you know, very educational to God's people, especially in this act of giving. I'm going to do something a little unconventional. I'm going to open up with a little excerpt from a comedian from the 60s, Flip Wilson. And uh, some of you might know him, a lot of young people, a little before your time. But uh, I want to open up with this and kind of set the tone as far as talking about money. Okay, so Grant, can't wait till Sunday. I go to church every Sunday. I have a very strong religious background. I go to church. I go, like, I'm in different cities. I go to different churches. I went, now, last week, I went to a beautiful little church uptown. It was nice little, and I, they charge a dollar to get in. <laughs> you know, very nice little, you pay that dollar, they give you a sandwich, something like that, and then they have a little group there that plays. The group does a 40-minute set, then Rev comes on, does 20 minutes. And, like, Rev opened the service by passing the plate. Plate shot around the room, came back, nothing in it. 
Ref said, y'all, there's nothing in the plate. I said, I, if I, didn't, I lost money coming down here. <laughs> so I'm going to send the plate back out there again and give y'all a chance to clean this up. Plate shot around the room, came back, nothing again. Ref said, now, brothers and sisters, we can't make it like this. So now I'm sure that everybody here wants this church to progress. That an if this church is going to progress first, it's got a call. This church has got a call. And the congregation yelled, let it crawl, Rev. Let it crawl. Rev said, and after this church has crawled, it's got to stand up and walk. And the member yelled, make it walk, Rev. Make it walk. Rev said, and after this church has walked, it's got to run. This church has got to run. And the member yelled, make it run, Rev. Make it run. Rev said, for this church to run, it's going to take money. And the member yelled, let it crawl, Rev. Let it crawl. <laughs> ah, speaking about giving, speaking about money. There's a lot of, obviously, there's been a lot of abuse you know, especially TV evangelists and things like that. So, but we can't shy away from something that the Bible does address. And again, I'm here just to educate us. You know, I'm not trying to manipulate or, you know, just provoke you. I, I, I want to provoke you to God. But at the same time, I want you to be provoked by the Holy Spirit through this sermon. And so um, let me just pray and uh, ask God to let this message just you know, speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you. We entrust it to you, Father, the, the teaching of your word. Help me to communicate effectively, Father, and allow this uh, truth, Father, through the working power of the Holy Spirit to resonate with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I, the purpose of the teaching, let me say four things to educate the believers to this act of worship. We're going to learn that giving is an act of worship. It's also an act of grace. It's also an act of love. And we'll talk about those things throughout the sermon. But uh, the second thing is I want God's people to experience God's grace in giving. Because uh, the passage we're going to look at today really makes grace synonymous with giving or given synonymous with God's grace. The third thing is to encourage, to be encouraged by God in our giving. There is something in the fellowship of, of the Holy Spirit when we're able to give freely and give in, in the, with the right heart. We really enjoy some kind of fellowship with God because we're doing the things, we're blessing others the way God has blessed us. And the fourth thing is to feel more connected to the church in participating in this act of giving. You know, we, we don't have membership in Calvary Chapel, but, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm okay with it, but uh, there's something about being able to provide for the church that's providing spiritually for us. And there's a connection there. And so those are four reasons. And the fifth reason is I'm a little short this week, so I'm hoping after this study somebody can lend me $20, right? <laughs> Just kidding. We have to go from the transition of the Old Testament tithing laws to the New Testament. The Old Testament had three tithing laws. It added up to about 23, 24%. But there's another passage. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Okay, here you go. We have to really transition from the Old Testament laws of tithing to New Testament laws of giving. There is a difference. The Old Testament, you know, 
the Old Testament saints or Israel were to give to the temple, give to the priesthood so it would keep functioning. And everybody, you know, when we talk about tithing, it actually came out to about 23, 24%. But then with the church coming into existence and the priesthood coming to an end, as far as the believing Jews were concerned, and the temple, you know, really coming to an end as the center of worship, uh, but that will be picked up during millennial law, but that's a different subject. How do we give now? If we don't give to a priesthood, if we don't give to the temple, you know, what do, how do we now give to God? And we're going to answer that question in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. But there's a difference between how the Old Testament explained giving and how the New Testament speaks to the church saints as far as this wonderful act of worship. And so let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And it's a, found, it's a foundational passage concerning New Testament giving. And by way of observation, many truths pertaining to giving come out of this passage. I've listed 14, but I'll get you out of here before 12. You know, no. I guess 12. We're going to have to be, go a little after 12. Um, but anyway, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And uh, the first thing is in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. And so the first thing I want to say is giving is actually synonymous with God's grace. That'll become clearer as we read this passage. Because there's something about when people receive or people give, people getting graced out in a good way. <laughs> God's grace is, seems to reveal itself in this wonderful act of giving. The second thing is in verse 2, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberty, liberality. And so giving was done out of poverty. And so poverty is not an excuse for not giving. And that's what I'm coming away from this text. Okay, we're all in different financial status, but you know, there's other things I can address, but I just want to address the heart of, of certain things that a lot of people in poverty were given. Remember the, uh, the widow, right? Jesus used her as an example. He kind of rebuked those who were given. He said, you're giving out of what you can afford, you know, but your heart's not into it. This woman is given out of what she can afford. And so you can see these kind of episodes in the gospel. There's a transition going on as far as the wonderful act of giving by way of freedom, not in a legalistic way. And that's another thing. We don't want to give legalistically. We don't want to give under protest. We don't want to give because some guy's doing a sermon on Sunday morning about giving. We want to give because it's right before God in worship. And we want to be prompted by the Holy Spirit and our love for God. And I'm, I'm here... You know, it's an interesting thing, but sometimes people get provoked to give for one or two weeks after a message like this, and then everything goes back to normal. But I'm trying to provoke us to a place where the Holy Spirit will provoke us, and it becomes just something that is just the norm in the way we worship God. And so a little bit of a difference. The third, um, in, in verses 3 and 4, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And so verse 3 and 4 shows the hearts of the givers. Giving is to be done desirably 
cheerfully, and chapter 9, verse 7 says, not under compulsion. Okay, not under compulsion. And so we want to be free in this act of giving. And the desire, God loves the desire of a cheerful giver. The fourth thing in verse 5, and not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And so giving generously stemmed from the fact of giving oneself fully to the service of God. This can cut two different ways. The idea for the church is to get God's people to give themselves first to the Lord. And again, their, their, their wallet and pocketbook will follow as they mature in the Lord. Uh, a lot of people sometimes give for the wrong reasons. You know, I've, I've seen this scenario. People who are in sin, so they give to satisfy their convictions. And they feel like by giving, it'll suppress the fact that they're, they're not dealing with sin in their life or growing in the Lord. We don't want that. And God's not interested in that. He wants a heart that's giving because they're in love with him and his holiness. But there's a fine line there where sometimes people give uh, to impress and give to eliminate their convictions. You know, that's not good either. You know, we should be given for the sole purpose because we are falling in love with God in the maturing process. And we want to glorify God and bless others in this giving. And so in verse 5, you know, giving generously, generously stems from the fact of giving oneself truly to the service of God. Listen, I've had people come up to me, and rich people. I can know of one in mine, and he's talking about money. And I knew that he wasn't where he's supposed to be spiritually. And I said, hey, listen, brother, let's, l l become a disciple of Christ, please. Okay, we'll talk money down the road. You know, that makes me a little nervous, you know. I'm not here for your wallet. Right? We're here because I want you to walk in the fullness of the Christian faith. I want you to enjoy everything. You'll figure out the giving when you're in fellowship and committed to God. It'll all come in, in place. And so give ourselves first to God, you know, and, and, uh, and everything will definitely fall into place. But I don't want people just giving because, well, aren't we supposed to give? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, and that's still up to you, but I want to educate them and say, first, make sure God has your heart. There's an old saying, you know, in worship, um, God has all of you in worship if he has your money. <laughs> a lot of truth to that. God has all of you if he has your money. So there's a lot of truth to that. Now, in verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. And so verse 6, giving is an expression of God's grace. God's grace is working in the act of giving. Verse 7, But as you should abound in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and in diligence and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also, the grace of giving. Ah. Oh. That's where I can hear somebody in the back saying, let it crawl, Reverend, let it crawl. Yeah, that was supposed to be funny, but just another tough crowd on Sunday morning. And so giving should increase. You know, we talk about it, 10%, this, that. Well, we're going to address that because it, uh, I'm going to address three different questions. Where to give, you know, who to give, you know, why do people not give? We'll address these issues. But this is an interesting statement. 
that it talks about increasing and giving. And the reason why is because as God extends, especially in the context of Paul, as God is extending the kingdom of God, there's more opportunities to, to pave the way for the gospel. And so it's not as if, you know, we can be locked into a certain percentage or something. All of a sudden, a new ministry opens up where a faithful brother and sister are advancing the gospel or a new missionary, you know, another second, you know, Paul's missionary journeys all of a sudden now. And it's like, wow, we have a better opportunity to advance the kingdom of light, to advance the, you know, God's kingdom. And so, you know, and we're open and all of a sudden our, our giving starts increasing. Because we, only, we know that the only money we'll ever see again is the money we give to God, right? I never saw a, the old expression, a U-Haul following a hearse, right? Right? Well, you guys are tough. <laughs> I don't. Anyway, verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Wow. And so verse 8, uh, Giving is, is an expression of our love for God and actually for one another. You know, love God and first two, first two commandments, the greatest commandments. But giving is an expression of our love for God and one another. Verse 9, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And so the example of Christ, his love was unconditional, was self-sacrificing, and so the idea in the background is that giving is self-sacrificing. It blesses those who need or, or in help. Sometimes we just, you know, we, we choose to help someone else. Again, I'm going to put the emphasis on faithful servants. There's a lot of charlatans running around. There's a lot of, you know, so-called Christians who are a bunch of flakes. You know, they got no love for God. So uh, I'm just saying that um, in this passage, that it's self-sacrificing in a good way, that, boy, if there's a need for a faithful brother or sister, we should be sensitive to that. In the same way God left his place of, Jesus left his place of honor and took on poverty in his humanity. Why? So he could bless others. The idea in, in, in the context of giving is that it's self-sacrificing. We're willing to withdraw from our own personal pleasures because we we can identify with a specific need that needs to be addressed. And we're willing to just give to God's kingdom first. And it's a little self-sacrificing that it's going to require. Verse 10 through 12, the readiness and act of giving. God loves this. You know, and in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. And so the idea of being a cheerful giver, you know, God, God wants us to have such a desire and a readiness and at the same time bring it to completion. You know, if we make some kind of, you know, when God's on our heart and we, we're talking to the Lord, we're in prayer and we say to ourselves, you know, I want to, I got to give to this. You know, God's really put it on my heart. And then all of a sudden we start having hesitation, reservations, and eventually we end up talking ourselves out of something. Uh, you know, God puts things on our heart. He directs us in giving. And when we make a promise to God, Lord, I'm, I'm going to give. This, this, this is a need. 
This is faithful. This is a faithful ministry. This is faithful brothers. This is faithful sisters. There's a, there's a need here that will advance your kingdom. We should complete the promise or at least the thoughts and what we had believed in our hearts and what God impressed on our hearts. And so here's the guiding purpose in verse 13 through 15. If, if you take anything away, this is what's happening to a body of believers who are faithful to God. This is the guiding purpose in giving. Verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. A quote from the Old Testament. And so giving provides the needs of everyone. Wouldn't it be a blessing? We all have different financial status, right? Some of us are rich, don't even have to work. Some of us live by month to month. Some of us don't, some of us don't know where the rent money is coming from. But if we're, we're a healthy body, we're all committed to the truth, we're all being faithful, all these needs will get met within a healthy body. Trouble with American churches, everybody's independent. Everybody's just living their own life, and the only time there's unity is on Sunday morning. But fellowship's a little deeper than this. We're committed to God, we're committed to one another, and we're upholding the needs. And so what's the natural outcome of giving when we have a healthy body? Even those that are poor who can't pay the rent, their needs are going to be met. And I'm not talking about people who can't pay the rent because they spent the, the last two nights at the Rio Casino playing blackjack. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about faithful Christians because the circumstances beyond their own control, they went broke or they're persecuted. How could the church and how could fellow brothers and sisters ignore that when someone's been so faithful with the truth and upholding the gospel? Everybody, there'll be equality. And then maybe that person who's poor will get back on their feet and then down the road, they're in a better financial situation and they start blessing others where finances has crushed them because of means or reasons beyond their own, you know, their own control. That's a healthy church. That's the way the first church was. And so the guiding principle for us giving is that nobody will go, you know, go away, you know, broke or something or... Their needs are not met. How can they thank God when their needs are not even being met? If you really think about it. But when their needs are being met, they see the grace of God, they see the love. Thank you, Father, for meeting my needs. It was through another brother or sister, but they're giving thanks to God. And you know what they're doing? They're praising God because you gave and met their needs. That's the way this works. But here's the problem with the American church. Everybody's independent of one another. Nobody even knows what's going on in anybody's life. And I'm not saying, hey, give me your financial report. I want to know what's going on. I'm not saying that either. But some way you can sense who's, who's living on hard times, who's rich, which is okay. It's not a sin to be rich. Just be generous. And who's, you know, who's where? And it's like this, this all just glorifies God. And everybody's experiencing the grace of God because they're showing kindness. I had a situation when I first got saved and... I don't know, God just put it on my heart to give this woman, a sister, $400. I gave her $400. I'm not boasting about myself. It was just something that, you know, it was, it was clear to me. This woman was so, and to this day I know as a sister, I haven't seen her recently, but she's out there, I think, in Mesquite somewhere. She was just so overwhelmed with praise and thankfulness. 
That's exactly what I needed. Everybody's being blessed. She's being blessed. I'm being blessed. I'm experiencing the goodness of God by sharing the heart of God with somebody else. How wonderful it was. That's fellowship with God in our giving instead of giving under compulsion and screaming, let it crawl, Reverend. Let it crawl. And so... Giving provides the needs of everyone in a healthy body of believers where we're really sharing the heart of God together. Together. And so the fulfillment um, in verse 16 through 23, it's the handling of money should be supervised. A little bit of a different subject matter, but always be above reproach when you're dealing with money. Have two or three witnesses. You know, the money that comes into the church should be counted by at least two or three people. You know, and, and again, always be above reproach. You know, you see all these TV evangelists that are raking it in with money. There's no accountability. Where'd the money go? Oh, well, just go to their home. That's worth five million. I think some of it went there. You know, that's how easy this is to figure it out. But we need to be accountable. We need to make sure. I, I have no problems. I, I wouldn't go this far putting our financial statement on the door so everybody could see it. If you're a committed member here, you got a right to know what's going on with the money. You, you, you're if you're committed here, we're committed to let you know that, hey, this is how the money's being spent. Now, again, everybody's not going to agree how the money's going, but leave that to the elders. They have to give a, an account to God. And if they're not in sin or they're teaching false you know, teaching heresy, leave them alone. And I'm saying that on behalf of the leadership of paradise, okay? <laughs> I could say it for myself, but I don't want to toot my own horn. Leave them alone. You know, let God direct them. You know what the best thing you can do instead of complaining about how the money's being spent? Pray for them. Lord, pr pray that God would direct the leaders in, in directing the money into the fullness of the kingdom of God we're, we're faithful Christians and, you know, hey, listen, God is, he's protected me from giving to the wrong people. I was given to a missionary and it was like something in my spirit. I just pulled the plug on. There was something wrong. It was like, this guy working me? And I just, I do have a discerning spirit, but it was like, something's not right. And then, you know, two months down the road, he's in jail and left his wife. And, you know, and I'm thinking, is this guy serving God? But God does have a way of protecting, you know, and, and, and ask him, Lord, I, I don't know. There's so many needs out there. There's so many faithful brothers out there. Everybody's asking for money, you know. Lord, please direct me. Let me wait on you. I'm telling you, God will meet that request. It's amazing how he does it and how he closes doors and opens up doors. And so the handling of money should be supervised. Verse 24 um, the fulfillment of giving to chapter 9, verse 5, upholding our word to give. You can read that on your own time. Then you have the principle of sowing and reaping and giving, chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Some of these people never give to God. They haven't figured it out. They're always broke. They haven't figured it out. Then you got, then you got to listen to them. When my ship comes in, I'll give to the church. Oh, yeah, the ship came in five times. They're still not given. You can't give in little things. You probably can't give in big things. It's not always true, but that seems to be a pattern. 
If you can't give, and you know, even Jesus said, if you're faithless in little things, how am I going to entrust you with things in the kingdom of God, the millennial kingdom? There's a truth there that even with money, you, you're cheap with God in little things or, how, you know, and, and just your little finances. You'd probably be cheap with God in everything. And I would test that by scripture. And I'm telling you that uh, cheapness doesn't have, being a cheapskate doesn't have to do with your level of money. I would, and I've tested that in scripture. And I'm looking at the scriptures and it's like, wait a minute. You could be a rich person and be a cheapskate. As much as you could be a cheapskate as someone who's complaining about not having any money. There's something about giving that supersedes this, takes us above that and gives us that freedom to give, even when it's like, well, I don't know where my rent's coming from now. I want to be careful with that. I don't want us to be reckless because that's where the people in the church can provide. But at the same time, I've had sisters, mostly sisters. Men are a little cheaper, but mostly sisters. They say, I got to give to God. I, 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 I'm, this is close. And they get blessed. You know? You know what God says in Malachi? In the context of giving, tithing. He says, go ahead, Israel. Test me. Go ahead, test me and you give it. Watch the way I can bless you abundantly. Now, again, I'm not saying this as a prosperity teacher, okay? Those guys are out there in left field, okay? You know, give so you can get seven in return. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that God will provide according to his needs, according to our needs, and, and we'll be blessed, and everyone will be blessed. It's amazing how God can provide when we give first to him, even when it hurts, even when it's a little frightening, even when we give out of what we can't afford like that widow. I'm telling you, God will bless in a wonderful way. And it, I'm not talking material-wise. He'll, he'll meet our basic financial needs. He might go beyond that. But that's another thing. Who cares about that? I just want to be blessed by God and experience the fellowship of the Spirit and His grace. And that's you know, what God is capable of doing. And uh, test me. Go ahead. Test me. Watch. Well, I'm, I'm $200 short with the rent. And all of a sudden, the end of the month, you're $400 ahead after you gave first to God. It's amazing. Now, I want to be careful with that. You have personal conviction. Because people ask me, I can't even pay the rent. And it's like, you know what? If you feel led to just take care of your expenses, that's fine. But at the same time, I get other people say, I'm, I'm giving to God no matter what. Just give it to him right off the top so I won't be under compulsion at the end of the month. This money belongs to God. And it's like, end of story. And it works for a lot of people. And I think it's scriptural, or at least more scriptural. The principle of sowing, you know, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or, or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love, I love churches that don't pass the plate. Okay, they pass the plate, that, that's their, you know, I can live with that, but I love it. You know, you put people under compulsion, you stick a plate right in front of their face. They'll throw a dollar in just so everybody's not buzzing, saying, heck, I didn't give, you know. But then all of a sudden, here's the other problem. You know, 
I got the offering box in the box. Oh, baby, nobody will know if I ever gave or not. The offering box is in the back. It's not the way this works. The offering box is back there because, you know, give you the freedom to give and not under compulsion. But if you pass the plate, I'm okay, you know, but I've never, I've never passed the plate in my ministry. I just don't like the idea. But, you know, that's just different personal convictions with leaders. But I think when you don't pass it, you know, you're definitely not going to put anybody under compulsion. But then again, the other side of the coin is, oh, baby, nobody knows if I gave or not. And just walk right past the offering box. <laughs> and so sowing to the flesh, you know, as far as the principle of sowing and reaping, sowing to the flesh will affect our giving in a bad way. You know. Again, I've seen this scenario. People never give. They're broke all the time. <laughs> they're broke. They haven't figured it out why they're broke. Because God can't bless them when they hold out on God. They, they haven't figured it out. Ten years later, they're still broke. I, I know people never gave to the church. I mean, I'm not supposed to know, but then when they, something happens, it's like, really? They never gave? Really? Shocked. Then I figured it out why they're broke. Oh, now I know why they've been broke for 10 years. That's, you know, they, they don't trust God. They can't trust God. Excuse me, my leg's a little. The second thing is if we sow to the Holy Spirit, a spirit-filled life, it's going to affect us in our priorities in life. We give first to God. It's going to affect us. That's why I'm saying that at the heart of this message is to let the Holy Spirit, let truth resonate in our hearts in this act of giving not being provoked by a sermon. I want you to be provoked by the Holy Spirit if, uh, if I'm speaking the truth here. And so the result and testimony of giving concerning the church, look at this wonderful testimony. Everybody's getting blessed, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have an all-sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Everybody's growing in righteousness. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed. You have sown and increased the fruits of your righteousness. This is a, a no-lose proposition. Everybody's being blessed. Everybody's growing in righteousness because they're praising God and they're, they're, they're recipients of God's grace through another person's giving. And now they want to love, they're growing in love with God. And what happens when you start growing in love with God? You, you become more Christ-like. And, you, and you, you start maturing. For the administration, while, while you are enriched in everything and all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Again, what's, what's at the heart of worship? Thanksgiving. Everybody's giving thanks to God in this act of giving. They're praising God. Thank you, Lord. You know, going back to that sister I helped. You know what I mean? She's praising God. She's giving thanks to God. Amen. You know, that's fellowship with God in giving. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry... They glorified God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. They're glorifying God, these poor people. <laughs> and they're advancing the kingdom of God. 
And by their prayer for you, they're praying for us. Listen, how do, you, how do you not pray for someone who just bestowed upon you God's grace and giving? They're praying for you. Oh, please bless my brother. Please bless my sister who's been so generous, so kind to me. Please meet their needs now, their spiritual needs. You see how this works? And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. So Paul prematurely ends up in a doxology with the end of this concept of giving. He's excited. Thanks be to God, this indescribable gift that's blessing everyone. Now, let me say a couple of things. Some insight. I want to go to two verses, and then I want to close with three questions. You know, where should the believer give? How much should we give? Why do people not give? Okay, that's a really probably, uh, sometimes to get the reality of things is look at the negative. <laughs> and the negative sometimes brings out the reality of truth. But 1 Corinthians 16 too. Go a couple of, well, next book to the left, last chapter. 1 Corinthians 16 too. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do also. You must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there is be no collection when I come. Let me say two things about those verses. Set apart money for the first day of the week. This develops discipline, setting a precedent, and managing our money for the sake of giving. The second thing it does is once the money is consecrated to God, it belongs to God. It belongs to God. I know what I make. Here it is. You know, should I do it before taxes, after taxes? Just give to God, please. You know, we can deal with those issues. But, all right, just give the first fruits of your money to God. It's consecrated to God. A lot of us work commission jobs, right? Ooh, right? And it's like, oh, boy, might not make my commission or my, my uh, money drawer or whatever, you know. But, I don't know. But, all things considered, give the first fruits of your money. Just give it to God and just tell yourself it belongs to God. It's not mine. That's really, my wife and I have practiced that. It helps. Then you're not under compulsion. Oh, it's a tough month, you know. No, just decide in your mind. It's a beautiful way to do it. And so once the money is consecrated to God, it belongs to God. This will help the believer not to give under compulsion. It's God's. Now, go to Matthew 6, verse 1 through 3. Take heed that you do, do, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed or give, do not sound the trumpet <laughs> before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely, I say to you, they have their reward. If that's what they're living for, to impress man in giving, there's your reward. Your fellow men, oh, they'll pat you on the back. Ooh, you're a pretty good giver. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
and so on. So giving should be done in secret. As much as possible, give you, keep your giving between the Lord and yourself. There's always a temptation for wanting people to know, you know, what you're giving. You know, there's always a little bit of a temptation. But try to do your best. Everything should be done in secret. Sometimes people personally give me something, and, and, and I'm okay in the sense that they want to show that they're supporting me. You know, they may be new to me, and they say, listen, I believe in what you're doing. I just want to show that I'm supporting you. I can live with that. But as much as possible, try to give in secret, you know, because you want to impress God and your love for him, not people. These churches, mega churches, you got, oh, they got the guy's name on the seat. Why? Just gave $500,000. Oh, the guy that gave $5 that couldn't afford it, he, he's not going to get a seat, huh? See how we bring the world's value systems in, but, you know, just, you know, try to keep it secret. Nobody should know who's giving what. And, and that's probably a good rule of thumb, but, you know, again, sometimes it gets out and, and uh, but do your best, you know, because there is a temptation sometimes when you, especially if you give a lot of money, you know, you go, oh, yeah, that's right. I kind of slipped a $10,000 check in there, you know, and like, eh. just, you know, because we give to impress God, not to impress people. A lot of people give to impress people. Well, it's crazy. I'm not sure God's crazy about that. Try to do your best in secret. It really, it's nice and say, Lord, thank you in secret, having this wonderful opportunity to give to you. And, and you're overcome with joy because you had this opportunity, not because 100 people are patting you on the back for, oh, you really took care of that, you know? I see a little bit of a difference? Okay, questions we must ask about giving. Where should the believer give? <laughs> you, you gotta take care of the local church, right? You, you got to take care of the Lord. If this is the place that's a refuge and this is where you're growing and this is where you're being discipled and this is where you have a chance to express your faith, I mean, I think the local church has to be at the top. Now, some pastors say, well, the, the, the local church is a storehouse and they use Malachi, but that was just given to the temple. And so I, a little bit of difference, but I would say, listen, we need to give to our local church. Why? because the church is not supported by the government. We can't have a rummage seal every four days to get the income. The income needs to come from committed, godly people in the church who believe in what the local church is doing. You know, one question I always ask administrators, I asked Patrick at the last board meeting, how is the giving, okay, as far as distributed? Because most churches operate on 10 to 15% of people that are giving. That's not good. And I always ask, is the, is the giving balance, is it across the board? Is everybody giving something? That's healthy. That's the way it should be. Unless, again, someone is really in dire need and they're the ones that need the help from the church. I'm okay, as long as they're faithful. I'm okay with that. But that's a question I'll ask. You know, again, at the board meeting, uh, the church has done well the last two months, but I've been around long enough. It's like, eh, money should be a little better. You know, and that's why I kind of said, you know what, let me do a teaching on giving. You got a lot of young Christians in this church. I don't know if they, they're educated to this issue. But you won't hear from me again on this issue, maybe in five years, but you, you won't hear. I mean, it's just a one-time thing. 
And I think it's, I have an obligation as a leader and the church has an obligation to educate God's people to this issue. Take care of your local church, which has become your home. Missionaries, give to missionaries. Man, there's guys out there all alone. They're, they're at the mercy of churches given to them. You know, you can either give through the church, that a church is very giving to missionaries and just keep providing for the church as a whole so it can keep giving to missionaries. I'm okay with that. Or personally, you know, give to your local church and then, boy, I want to take care of a brother or sister. I want to take care of this ministry, man. They're, they're paving a, they're putting a hole in the kingdom of darkness with their faithfulness. You could do it personally. But if the church, you know, you know where the church, the money's going, and you could see they're providing, maybe you want to just give to the church and let them provide for the missionaries. Either way works. Give to any faithful believer who can use a financial need. You know, did you hear what I said? Faithful. Okay? That's a key word. I want to know what's going on in a person's life when they're broke. All right? I want to know. There needs to be a lot of discernment as far as where we're giving. You got these street people. They've been on the street for 10 years. I don't want to sound unmerciful. I want to know why they're on the street. They're working the system. These people with their signs at the corners. Come on. This is America. 30-year-old kid out there. You know, in one sense, they should be ashamed of themselves. Again, I don't want to sound unmerciful, but there's discernment that we need to use. I'm not giving to some taker. I'm not giving to someone who's mocking God with working the system. I want to give to someone in a, in a real educational way. I want to know what's going on. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But give. You get a brother who's out there alone, and all of a sudden, God's ministry is exploding in him, and he doesn't have the finances. Be sensitive to that. Be sensitive to that. Again, ministries that are unique in promoting the truth, apart from the local church. Ah, you know, there's a lot of churches. I think the church should be having these ministries, or at least uh, I think we're, uh, well, let me just say, there's ministries out there that are upholding the truth. Be sensitive. You know, they're apart from the church. But once again, if the church is providing for them, amen, you know, so the church can maintain it. The poor in Christ, the faithful believers, once again, you know, when it talks about the poor in the New Testament, it's in two places. The emphasis, except from the gospel message, that was the poor in the Old Testament times with the theocracy of Israel. But the two places it talks about the poor is in Galatians and Romans. And the poor are the faithful believers who have gone broke. The emphasis is on Hebrew Christians. They went broke in Jerusalem. Man, don't forget these Jews who went broke because of their testimony for Christ. They were ostracized by their countrymen. The Sanhedrin just ostracized them where they can't, they can't even function economically. Take care of these guys. There's really nothing I see in the New Testament that says a church has a mandate to take care of the poor. The mandate for the church is to preach the gospel to the poor, to the middle class, and to the rich. That's the mandate for the church. And in the privacy of our life, if a church has a desire to want to reach out to the poor, that's their business, and that's fine. If an individual wants to, but we're in the business of preaching the gospel. 
And if we think we can hurt a poor person to bridge the gap into a person's heart, a poor person's heart, to preach the gospel, go for it. But there's no mandate that the church has to take care of the poor. You won't find it in the New Testament unless you take those two scriptures and misapply them. It's about believers who went broke because of their love for Jesus Christ. Use good judgment again for the poor, okay? But we have a different type of poor in this town, okay? This is not the poor in the gospel accounts or in the Old Testament. These poor people are hacking out a living. God even said, man, when you, when you harvest, leave a little something for the poor. They're hacking out a living. They're following you and they're working hard. They're trying to get through another week. That's a different type of poor. I got everybody's on the take here. Everybody's on the take. Everybody's a, a, a victim. Best thing you could do for someone, maybe have them a cup of coffee and preach the gospel. If they spit it out, there's nothing you could do for them. Except tell them you're going to be like this five years from now. Working the society, having a story for everybody. Discernment and giving. Talk to somebody who has discernment. I'm, I'm thinking about doing this, giving this. Talk to somebody who has discernment so they can help you in this act of giving. And so, how much should we give in proportion with our income? Whatever our hearts desire before God. The issue of 10%, I think there's a misnomer about it, but I will say this, there is no command, but it's definitely a good example to follow. You know, it's not a bad example to follow. Give 9%, give 11%, but don't get legalistic and locked on to 10%. But remember what the Bible said, increase in this giving? Huh? Remember? So if you, if you like giving 10%, the Bible's suggesting don't stop there. <laughs> don't stop there. Oh, I heard someone say, let it crawl, Reverend, again. <laughs> oh, my. And so there's no specific percentage the New Testament teaches, but use 10% as a good example. I hear pastors say, if you give less than 10%, you're in sin. Mm, that's not good. You can't make that statement. Encourage them to give. Probably end up giving 15 16%. Why do people not give? Let me wrap this up with these seven issues real fast. They're never instructed properly about giving. <laughs> that's one reason. Never instruct. That's what I'm trying to do here. If someone is in the clouds as far as what do I do, how do I give? How much? You know? Second thing why people don't give, they're reckless with their money. Accumulating debt, not having anything to give. You know? All of a sudden, they buy a car, put a six-year, brand-new car they can't afford, put a six-year payment on it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, after I pay this car off in six years, I'll be thinking about giving to the church. Oh, that's just great. They sell themselves for a car, and then they have nothing to give to God. Come on, I got... You know, we got to be balanced there. And I like to have a new car, you know. But, again, use good judgment. And all of a sudden, you know, they need that 60-inch flat TV. And the third thing is why people don't give. They give first to their personal pleasures before they would consider giving first to God. That's just they're taking care of their personal pleasures. 
And I'm not trying to rob you of, you know, enjoy the things of this life, but just have your priorities in order. Give first to God, and then enjoy the things that God has blessed you with without getting this upside down. Fourth thing is constantly coming up with reasons or excuses not to give. You ever, I mean, really, I, I remember a couple of people, you know, over the years, it's like, man, how many excuses are you going to come up with? Because their heart's not right. But we got to be careful, you know. And again, you hear this one, I think I said it earlier. Oh, when my ship comes in, I'm going to give to the church. Why don't you just give today? You know, just give. But a lot of excuses get in the way. Let me tell you, this flesh can talk itself out of giving. All right? I'm telling you, we can talk ourselves out of giving in about 15, 20 different ways. It's that easy. Let God talk us into giving. Misnomers in, in not giving. There's another one, fifth reason. A lot of people substitute their service to God in place of giving. Well, I don't give, but I serve in the church. Uh, I don't see that in Scripture, but I'm not going to touch it. That's a personal conviction. I would say give yourself to the church in service and give to the church monetarily. Is that fair? I'm okay with that, but I'm not crazy about that one in the purest sense. I don't give, but I serve the church. I don't see anything in Scripture that, you know, lets you off the hook for giving. <laughs> Do both. And a lot of people's hearts, the sixth thing, people's hearts are not right with God in worship. There's no awareness of God. They're going to church, but there's no, they haven't cultivated their relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're just going through the moves. There's no awareness of God. We're called to have an awareness of God through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship of brothers. When there's an awareness of God, it's going to affect the way we give. And so a lot of people just don't give. Their hearts are not right. And believe me, I, I'm the first to tell you, I don't want you to give if your heart's not right with God. Don't waste God's time. But I'll take $20, you know, if uh, we'll show it this week, you know. There's uh, the last reason. Believers are just plain cheap with God. All right? Cheapskates. That's the last reason. People are just cheap. They're Jack Benny's. Remember Jack Benny? Some of you? Come on, Chris. Huh? Who knows Jack Benny? He was the cheapest guy in Hollywood. This guy was so cheap that in an episode he got robbed. And the robber said, give me your money or your life. And he did nothing with his hands up. And the robber said, did you hear me? Give me your money or your life. And Jack Benny finally turned around. He says, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> uh, listen, don't get cheap on God. Get cheap on yourself, right? but don't get cheap on God. Let me just, giving is an act of worship, an act of grace, an act of love towards God and his people. Real fellowship with God will be evident in this wonderful privilege of giving. Amen? So I just hope I left you with something to just consider, ponder, and, and uh, you know, if you feel you need to get free and given, then just pray to God, Lord, free me up that I can give cheerfully to your glory as an act of worship.
and as an act of love towards you and towards one another. Worship team. Father, we, uh, we continue to just come before you giving thanks or praise the way you provide for us, Father, spiritually, emotionally, financially. Just lift up Paradise Calvary Chapel. Your will be done, Father, in this church. Continue to bless Pastor Tim and the leadership. Allow us, Father, to be governed in such a manner that our love for you would be so evident and truly advance the kingdom of your kingdom upon this earth. And Father, if there's any deficiencies in our lives, any things that we need to work on, oh, Father, just give us the desire, the willingness, and our love for you, Father, to address these issues and allow your Holy Spirit to raise us up with the power that you've made available to us in salvation to, to persevere and to glorify you, Father, in such a wonderful way. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Bless them abundantly, Father, in their, in their Christian walk. Protect them from the enemy and allow them to always enjoy sweet fellowship, Father, in uh, upholding the truth together. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.